So 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, is where we're going to be. Last week, we took a, a moment out in order to look at uh, the, our hospitality ministry that is going to expand. And I encourage you, like if you've even thought just the tiniest ounce about it, I'll go to that meeting on the 12th. And if you can't go to the meeting on the 12th, that doesn't mean you can't be a part of the ministry. It's sign up. So we've made a sign up online where you can sign up to be a part of the team and then you indicate whether or not you can make it to that lunch. So be a part of that if the Lord has laid that on your heart. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 is where we're jumping back into as, as we continue our series, Entrusted. Now, Paul is obviously writing to Timothy and he's in the middle of, in the middle of this argument about uh, Timothy not being like the false teachers, but instead, as we come to today, being used as a vessel of honor or a vessel of good, a vessel of God. And so that's when we get to verse 20. That's the context of where we are jumping into. So when you get there, say word. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, Paul is writing to the young minister in the faith, Timothy. Right Now, many of you in here are not pastors, will never be a pastor. If you desire to become a pastor, this passage certainly applies to you in a very direct way. But I, I want us to at least consider the fact that the principles here that are pl applied to a young minister also apply in a more general way to all of us as believers. And so I want us, if you desire to be used by God, to be a vessel of honor, if, if a desire in your heart is for God to use you, here are th there are three things that Paul's going to tell us today, kind of three steps that allows for God to use us as a good, clean, honorable vessel. And that's in every aspect of your life. And there's going to be certain points where I'll say, now, if, if you're talking about specifically in ministry, here are the principles involved. But there are going to be general principles that, that connect with each and every one of us. So how many of you all have ever enjoyed um, going thrifting before? Uh, a lot of people, that's a, that's a really big thing. There's a lot of antique things in, in, uh, in East Ridge, and there's lots of different types of thrift shops around Chattanooga. It's pretty crazy. As a kid, we used to have an, uh, a yearly yard sale. Now, we weren't able to have it at our house because I lived kind of out in the country a little bit, and, you know, who needs a farmer coming by for a toy? You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So we would go into the great grand big town of Jefferson City, and my grandmother had a house on one of the busier roads 
of Jefferson City. And so every year we would pack up our stuff and my cousins and aunts and uncles, and we would just have like one really large yard sale on the front of their lawn. And inevitably people would stop by and they're like, you know what I need? I need more crap today. And so they stopped by and they loved buying our stuff, which was great. Um, and, and, you know, we made money on it and that kind of stuff. But one of the things I was, as I was kind of thinking back on this, I, I, I remembered, I was like, how did we go through that type of thing. As a kid, you know, you're, you're not thinking so much about it, but as an adult, uh, you, you think back and you're like, okay, we would sort by the stuff that, that we didn't use. In the same way uh, that uh, we do that today in our spring cleanings and all that kind of stuff, we would sort based on functionality. Do we use this anymore? Have I used this in the past year? If the answer is no, then I probably don't need it in my house, right? And if somebody else wants to buy it and can use it, then great. But so we, we would sort based upon functionality. And that's what ultimately Paul is, is telling Timothy as a young minister, and it's applied to all of us today, if you're here and want to be used by God, is that there are certain functional things that ultimately over the course of our lives that God particularly is pleased to use. And it's an honorable vessel that, that honors him. And it ultimately that is set apart as holy. So if you want to be used by God, here's the first of three things that Paul tells us. And the first is this, that he calls us to consecrate our lives for godly purposes. To consecrate our lives for godly purposes. Look with me again at, at verse 20. Now in a great house, so Paul jumps into this analogy of essentially between true teachers of God, true ministers, including Timothy, that Paul wants him to be, and these false teachers. Paul's obviously been talking a lot about false teachers and how they're upsetting people and, and their public witness and private witness has, has not been good, and they're leading people astray. And so he, he kind of sets this, uh, this metaphor of a house, and he says, now in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will, there's a, there's a certainty here, a promise here, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, which is ultimately in this analogy, God ready for every good work, which is connected, by the way, to the end of chapter 3, where it says that the word of God ultimately is, equips us and prepares us that we may be complete, equipped for every good what? Every good work. So there's a connection here between us being in the word and connected to truth and what is coming out of us in our lives. Now, do, does anybody in here like wearing white shoes? I, I like wearing like a really nice clean pair of, of really nice white kicks. And, you know, I'm not a, like a shoe guy or anything like that, but I really do like a nice pair of, of, of white shoes because it looks good with jeans and it's very functional and that kind of stuff. Now, what happens over the course of time is what? They get so dirty and it's annoying, right? So I have to make some judgment calls along the way 
on when I'm going to choose to wear these white shoes and when I'm not. And an example of when I'm not going to wear my white shoes is when I'm doing yard work until or unless I have this pair of white shoes that I'm currently, uh, that I currently have as my yard shoes. Those things are like five or six years old. And those would be considered dishonorable shoes now. I wouldn't wear those things anywhere in public except maybe to like, uh, uh, I don't know, a place that, that I really want to, you know, just say, I don't really care about this. So maybe to an Alabama fan's house or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so something along those lines, right? I have to make certain calls to make sure that they stay clean. Um, that's what Paul's saying is that honorable vessels are going to be used for honorable purposes, right? Just like Lauren won't let me bring out my college, my plates from college that are plastic and have dividers in them. She won't let me bring those out in public because that's embarrassing, evidently. I mean, who knew? I mean, I, when we were married, I, I still had all my plastic plates and my plastic cups and all that stuff. And I thought that was great. But evidently, that's not sophisticated enough. And so because of that, I had to get rid of most of it. But I held on to my divided plates because I don't like my food touching. And so basically, Paul is saying that we must consecrate our lives, cleanse ourselves of the things of this world in order to be ultimately used by God. And the word consecrate is, is a holy word. It's a, it's a word that's connected to the Old Testament where people would, would literally cleanse themselves, give sacrifices and offerings in order to cleanse themselves of sin. To consecrate is to make a conscious decision to get rid of or to part with things in our life that are not ultimately honoring to God. And that's what he's saying. He says, in this metaphor, this, there's this house that ultimately represents the church. And so this represents the church of God. And, and in this, just as during Jesus' time, when he said that, that he, Jesus himself is going to be the one that's going to sift between the wheat and the tare and all of those things, between the sheep and the goats, the church collectively has always been made up of people that are truly seeking after God and people that, even though they may not realize it, are deceiving themselves and ultimately are of Satan. And so that's one of the reasons why people say, oh, the church is filled with sinners. And, and yeah, of course they are. <laughs> of course we are, right? And so he said there's, there's different types of vessels for different things in our lives. And so these wooden clay ones, you, you wouldn't use those to set the fine china and having a meal on. You might use those as a trash can. However, you use the honorable things for the most important stuff. So honorable vessels are the ones that are used for the honorable purposes. Do you have a desire to be used by God? Then what is, what is in your life that is filling your mind or filling your heart with things that are not of God. We must rid ourselves of things. Because Paul says, if the vessel is clean, then it will be used for honorable, godly purposes. Now, this is both of teaching uh, and doctrine and character and integrity. It's a both and. There were, there were times that, that, I had to, that I had to stop 
listening to certain music or I've chosen to stop watching certain types of movies or certain types of shows because I realized that this is actually filtering into who I am and what my heart is chasing after. And I have, to, I have to consecrate myself in order for God to use me. Or he can use me however he wants. But it's God calls us. He puts the responsibility on us that by his grace, we are to take an active role in this. There's a reason Dallas Willard says grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can't earn our way to God using us and to look more like Jesus but we are crazy to not look at scripture and say that we take an active role in choosing whether or not how God uses us. And so cleansing our lives will make us available for greater usefulness to God. Are there things in your life that you need to kind of part ways with? That may be even friends or influences in your life, maybe music. I realize this is, this is kind of touchy and tough. This is, this is stepping on toes but and deeply personal. But that's where Paul is coming from. He's saying, Timothy, it's not worth it. If you want to be used by God, you, you can't meddle with both things. And so he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So there's the initial consecration. There's the decision. There's a moment when you say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, to choose to walk away from some of this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to walk away from the things that are filling my mind with with the trash that ultimately ends up coming out of my mouth. Or I'm going to choose to walk away from the thing that ultimately ends up making me angry that I then take out on my wife or, or anything like that. But then there's the practice of it, the maintenance of it. And that's where kind of Paul goes next in verses 20 and verse 22 is how do we maintain this, right? And he, he kind of emphasizes very clearly. The, the second thing is that we are to maintain our pursuit of godly character and purposes. Maintain that. So we consecrate. It's, a, it's, a, it's an executive decision of our will. We have to decide, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to rid myself of this. And then we must maintain it. How do we maintain it? Verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, meaning you are joining many believers in their, in their pursuit of Jesus in a life that is honorable to Jesus. So flee youthful passions. The word there where we get flee is actually the word where we ultimately will get the word fugitive. So imagine Harrison Ford and the fugitive running away from Tommy Lee Jones, Right? Imagine Tommy Lee Jones saying, I don't care. You know, if you've ever seen that movie, that's my best Tommy Lee Jones impression. So I got a thumbs up up here. Paul's advice is, is saying we, we must flee from the things that are entrapping us. Now, he's specifically saying youthful passions. Timothy is a young guy. And not just he's a young guy, but he is a young minister. 
And there are frequent temptations for young ministers to have certain types of entrapments in sin. Is it talking or is it implying about sexual temptation and sin, like Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife? Yes, that's implied. But actually here, Paul is more specifically talking about, if you look at verse 23 and following, he's more talking about impatience and things along those lines. Look, look a little bit further down in verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. In verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, correcting his opponent with gentleness so that God may perhaps grant them repentance and that they may come to their senses. One pastor said that harshness is a telltale sign of still being entrapped by youthful desires. In, in the wilderness... The Israelites wanted things then and now. And how did God respond to that? Not great. When we grow impatient, it's because we're, we're grasping at, at our idea of what is best and not God's. God's allowed certain people and things in our life in order to shape us and mold us. And so he's really talking about the desire to fight or the temptation to be quarrelsome or to be unkind or to be harsh. Impatience is difficult, particularly for young people, but I don't think it's only for young people. One of the, the biggest things a young minister can come in and do to blow up his family and his, and his ministry and the church is he comes in and he's arrogant and thinks he's good and going to change everything immediately, right? And Paul is warning against that. You've probably seen that. And Paul's saying, don't do it. That's stupid. And it's arrogant. Not every battle is worth fighting. Um, there's an illustration that's used. And I think even this is not just true of the church, but this is true in our lives and our families' lives when there's a massive ship at sea, it can't just turn on a dime. It takes up to seven miles for a ship to turn around and begin going in another direction, to go in an opposite direction. And sometimes the same is true of us. It takes time. So allow ourselves to have grace, but more importantly, Allow grace and patience with others in your life. That's one of the things that Paul is saying is, is that in order for us to maintain our pursuit, we must grow in the character and quality of Christ. And what is Christ if not incredibly patient with us? How many times would, he, would we have just, I've read that a couple weeks ago from Paul David Tripp, that we would have said, nope, this thing's over. I'm done with you. I'm cutting you off. And it's over. So these are some of the youthful desires that, that we must, including contentiousness, that we must rid ourselves of as we flee in order to consecrate ourselves for godly purposes. But he doesn't just say walk away from something. He doesn't just say, walk away in your life. Uh, here's, here's kind of a few examples 
um, to, the desire to desire to be you know liked by everyone. That's a youthful desire. This isn't the only youthful desire that, that we're talking about, but but the desire to be recognized. All of these are youthful desires that, that we must rid ourselves of. But then he says we must pursue something. It's not just about getting rid of things in our life. Instead, Paul says, no, 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 just flee these things, but pursue something much better. And that's what he says at the end of verse 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We must pursue, follow very quickly after Jesus. Pursue doing the right thing, believing and trusting. Pursue loving. This is the sacrificial love. This isn't the brotherly love. Pursuing love and peace. This is what God desires for us to, to be pushing after in every aspect of our lives. So this is what Timothy was to chase after. This is how we maintain being, an, being of honorable use. The final thing is this, as we look at verses 23 and 26, is this, that we must exercise, exercise godly character in our life and ministry. We must exercise godly character in our life and ministry. Look again at verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, specifically here, Paul is talking about the false teachers that have walked away. Earlier, he talked about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And in 1 Timothy, he talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander. These people had, have fallen away and walked away. And he has given them over to what they wanted. And that is a right and true thing. We see this all throughout the New Testament. But in order to do this, we, we don't do this to, to spite. But in fact, it's in order to allow them the grace to come back to see and hit bottom and so that they may ultimately escape from the snare of the devil, may come to their senses. And so when people come after us, and they ultimately will, and here's something that's really interesting about verse 24. He says, be kind to everyone. God's calling us to put on kindness. This is a part of the righteousness and love he calls us to. But he also says, um, patiently enduring evil. Something interesting that you wouldn't get from the English in this is the word patient there and patiently enduring evil is, that's a word that's no, used nowhere else in the entirety of the New Testament. And it's connected with people that you love. This isn't loving strangers like that, that kind of say mean words to us that are outside of the church. What Paul is telling Timothy is that you must patiently endure evil and difficulty from the people that you love most and that you surround yourself with, people from within the church. The phone call is coming from within the house. And so Paul is saying that, that we must, as, as we want, if we want to be used by God, that there's going to be things that want to knock us off, 
and that sometimes will try to knock us off. And sometimes it will come from the people that we love the most and are the most connected to. And he says, but if you are following in Christ and you want to be used by God, one of the greatest ways you can be used by God is by patiently enduring this evil and continuing to give grace to show Christ-likeness and not to just Yes, yes, allow them to, to go about what they want to do, but not being a jerk about it. But not saying, I told you so. Not giving the snide remarks. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so in, in our lives, are we pursuing the right things? Are we, are we pursuing uh, patience and love and righteousness? So in order to maintain, we must flee and we must pursue the character of Christ. And the boots on the ground exercising of that is that we must be patient with those that are around us. We must choose to exercise kindness to the people that are around us. And I know that's hard. And when we screw up, you know what? We own that because the gospel frees us because we're not going to be perfect. Our being in initiated into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with our goodness, has everything to do with Jesus being perfect for us. And so we don't have to sit and hide in shame and pride, but we can say, I messed up. You can say to your kids when you don't patiently endure the difficulties of that, I messed up. I got angry with you in a way that was unhealthy. And I'm sorry for that. You can tell your coworker, I responded poorly when I did this. And I'm sorry for that. Christ has called me to a higher standard, and I failed that. And so Paul called, calls us to minister in this way. In order to be used by God, we must be gentle and lowly as Jesus is gentle and lowly. So the question is, which road are we heading down? Which road are we heading down? I think God's calling us to consecrate our lives, to cleanse our lives of what is, is evil in this world or what is influencing us in a negative way and to maintain that pursuit of Christ-likeness and then to apply it and exercise it in every aspect of our lives to our family and to our coworkers and ultimately to the nations. There's a, a great story as, as we close. There's a, a great story about... and. I've kind of learned, I, I did some research on this because sometimes these stories seem too fanciful for my taste. And this is not historical fact. Um, it could be, but it, it might not be. But there's a story that um, came out in the 18th century of, about Leonardo da Vinci. And um, when he was painting and desired to, to paint and create the Last Supper, he got, and this part is historical fact, that da Vinci went and took and used the faces of people that were around him in Rome at the time 
to in order to express as a model for each of the disciples and ultimately for Jesus. And as the story goes that in order to find the, the person and face of Jesus, he went to, uh, to a Catholic church and found a choir boy that kind of almost had this angelic uh, feel. And so he brought him in and, uh, and ultimately he painted him. And the, the young boy's name um, I, I forgot it off the top of my head, was Pietro Bandanelli. What a fun name that is. And so that, that, was, that, was, that was allegedly his name. And so ultimately, Da Vinci had to put it off finishing the, the Last Supper for quite a period in his life. That part is also true. And so ultimately, he comes back to it because he wants to finish it before he dies. And so the one last final person that he hadn't painted was Judas. And so he knew he wanted someone that looked hardened and that was beaten down by life in order to portray Judas. And so he goes out on the streets of Rome and he, and he finds this, this man that's homeless and he brings him into a studio and he paints him and, and, and you can just kind of see the, the beaten down nature of Judas's face in the, the Last Supper painting. And he gets to the end of it and he wants to know the name of the, uh, the young man or the, the guy that, that he, he talked to and, and helped paint is Judas. And he said, so son, what is, what is your name? And he said, you may not remember this, but I was the young boy that you painted as Jesus not too many years ago. But life has been difficult and I made a lot of terrible decisions. And so the question is, and again, that may be a fable, it may not, but it illustrates the point that the, the life that we choose to lead will ultimately lead us to, to us being an honorable vessel or for us being to, to, to be a dishonorable vessel. What does God desire for you? Ultimately, he wants you to consecrate your life. Will you choose to do it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that you desire to, to use us. Help us, God, to be used by you I pray, Lord Jesus, for the besetting sin or the things that we're clinging to that are not good influences on us, whether that be people or things or places. Um, I pray, God, that, that you will allow for us to let that go and not just to let that go and, and, and feel just disconnected from so much of our life, but God, to, but to run and pursue you and pursue the things of you, to pursue your people, to, to dive into your word. We need your grace, Lord. Forgive us where we inevitably fail you. But God, you don't, re you, don't, you don't require perfection in order for us to be used by you. You just require a heart that desires to know you and desires to be used by you. And so help us along the way. I thank you, God, that you're gentle and lowly. Help us to, to be gentle and kind and, and patient, even, even with the people that um, ultimately just annoy us the most or make life most difficult. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.